GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Telerik UI for Xamarin is a collection of more than 70 Xamarin forms and Xamarin wrappers. A theming mechanism with a built-in predefined theme, predefined Visual Studio item templates, MVVM support, and more. The toolset offers fast loading, excellent drawing capabilities, pixel perfection, and stunning UI, all while providing flexible customization. One C-sharp project, three native mobile apps. Release your inner .NET Ninja and create awesome cross-platform mobile apps with Telerik UI for Xamarin. For more information or to download a trial, visit telerik.com slash xamarin dash gone mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. So John, I, I noticed it looks a little bit different behind you than, than in previous episodes. Yes, I have some bandwidth now. So, you know, it's not the be all and end all, but I, I can do video calls now. So we're, we're a step ahead. Very, very exciting. How did the move go in general? Are you getting all settled in? Yeah, you know, I started um, kind of reworking my my networking area of the house, which, you know, every pro, every uh, nerd like us probably has to do once we move in. So I've got it all set up. And, you know, I stumbled across all of the, um, I have a couple Pine 64 boards and I have a couple Raspberry Pis and I was starting to like wire those all up um, and thinking like, what what do I want to do with these things? And then, you know, some other news happened in in the world of IoT type devices. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds like a, a very relevant and premeditated lead-in <laughs> right there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, if you go back, uh, and this is actually, it was even a little bit further back then than I was, I was thinking when I was kind of putting together some notes for this episode. Uh, but if you go back to uh, episode 69 on June 6th, we had uh, a Mr. Brian Kostanich on, and we were, we were talking about building connected devices and, and a whole bunch of IoT goodness um, and he had the audacity to come on the show and, and tease a whole bunch of news that he couldn't really talk about. Um, so we just had to bring him on for for a new episode. So uh, I'm really, really excited to to welcome Brian back to the show. How's it going, man? Thanks. It's great to be back. It's great to be back with Meadow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm excited that that we can actually talk about this stuff now because you had you just recently came out with a whole slew of of really cool announcements and a lot of stuff to dig into. Um, kind of like. I think before we get there, like, can you just give like a, a quick, like, you know, even 30 second primer for, for anyone who, you know, everyone should go listen to the previous episode and, and all of that, obviously. Um, but can you give like a quick primer on, you know, what Wilderness Labs is and a and little bit of what you've been doing, um, you know, with it in, in recent years? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that maybe it, take, it would be helpful even to take a step back a moment to sort of like understand what's happening in computing. Um, so we're 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 on the verge of this new computing revolution. So for the past, you know, ten-ish years, uh, we've all been uh, sort of spending 100% of our time in, you know, or or nearly most of our time and and energy doing mobile because mobile was the the new hot thing, and that's where all the interesting work was happening, and that's where all the you know the money was to be made and stuff. And now mobile has sort of moved into the to the mainstream, and a lot of the you know, a lot of the the, the treasure, the, the fortunes have been found, so to speak. Um, but we're entering a new part of the, a new phase of the computing revolution. And in somewhere between like six and, and, and eight-ish years from now, there's going to be 75 billion non-mobile connected devices on the planet. Um, so to protect, put that in perspective, that's 10 times as many connected things as human beings and uh, mobile saturation right now is somewhere around like 4 billion. So, you know, kind of one for every 
every other human on the planet. And so we're moving into this new phase of, of technology where microcontrollers are going to become are becoming the dominant form of computing on the planet, you know, by the numbers. And it's it's a huge it's it's a huge transition. It's a huge um, shift change coming in the wind um, a, around computing, and and so we, you know, the one of the issues, however, is that is that building IoT today, and 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 I like the term connected things a little better. I, I, IoT doesn't, you know, it sort of means everything and nothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, building connected things today is really hard. Uh, building hardware is just, it's its really tough. And so we set out a couple of years ago after I left um, Xamarin, you know, after we got acquired and, and um, I started a new company and we set out to, with a mission to make hardware development as fast and easy as software development, you know, and, and that there's a little bit of a joke in there and that sometimes software development can be really, really hard. But uh, hardware development is, is, is really much, much harder today. It's, it's really stuck in the eighties. You know, you look at all these platforms out there and there's this, there's this sort of like cornucopia of Arduino clones and, um, you know, some other stuff out there, but, but by and large, uh, all of the professional, uh, development around IOT and, and, and nearly all of the hobby stuff as well is low level. It's, it's, um, you know, it's a low level experience. So it's, C, C++, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of like trying to find hardware drivers and then fighting with these hardware drivers that don't quite work and then having to go modify them and then just writing a lot of plumbing code and, you know, more and more just, just piles of C, C++. And, and, and it's really difficult to make anything uh, sophisticated today. And so we, we, sat down we said all right you know what what is it what do we need to do to to this to to sort of change the game here and and obviously we're you know we're mono guys um and gals and um the first thing we thought is well it would be really nice if we could update the space so that you could run full mono applications or full you know rather full net applications on a microcontroller you know so full .NET standard 2.x, you know, whatever version they're at today and, and tomorrow, and uh, have all the features of modern, uh, modern C-sharp, whatever we're at now, 7, or, and um, be able to just pull down packages off of NuGet whenever I, we never, you know, whenever you needed to, to grab a library and, and uh, be able to pull peripherals off of uh, SparkFun or Adafruit and just plug them in and have a beautiful API. And so that's what we uh, we had been building for the last two years, and uh, last week, um, you know, by the time this airs, it'll probably be two weeks uh, two weeks from from when you when when you're hearing this, uh, we launched our Kickstarter and uh, for for Meadow, and as of uh, as of yesterday, which will be a week when you hear this, um, we hit three hundred percent funding. So things nice. are going well. Nice. So yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're talking about the Kickstarter and, and Meadow as a you know as a thing. Um, you know, can you go into like a little bit more concrete terms of like what what's what are you shipping? What is Meadow itself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so there's kind of two pieces to to Meadow. There's the platform and and there's the hardware. And um, <clears throat> out of the gate, we're shipping uh, a, 
a single board. Uh, Meadow. So, so the idea between behind Meadow is that Meadow is a platform that will run on any number of microcontroller. Uh, microcontrollers and microcontroller architectures. And for our Kickstarter, we're shipping our first, our flagship board, which is the Meadow F7 Micro. And that's a little tiny Adafruit form fe- uh, Adafruit feather form factor. That's a lot of, that's a lot of alliterations. <laughs> I know it's definitely hard to it's say. It's a mouthful right there. Um, an Adafruit <laughs> feather form factor board uh, called the F7 Micro. And it's based on the uh, ST's microcontroller um, line, it's the STM32F7, which is an incredibly powerful chip, but but uses almost no energy. You know, you can run it on a coin cell battery for a, real, for a really long time, or, um, a LiPo or lithium ion battery for years, and, and you can run it on a solar panel for, you know, indefinitely. Um, so, we're, so we're selling our first board, and it's a little embeddable module that runs full .NET standard apps. And of course, um, you know, all the other stuff that you get with uh, the Meadow platform. So kind of digging into that board a little bit for a second, like, so, so you mentioned it was based on uh, Adafruit, Feather, and then a whole bunch of words that I'm definitely not going to be able to, to say out loud, even if I knew what they were. Um, like is that, <laughs> so is that sort of like a, a stock board that, that was available publicly already that, that you sort of chose as your, your go-to board? Or is this something sort of, based on that, that's more custom made? Like, what does that story look like? Yeah, this is 100% custom hardware for us. Um, the Feather form factor is this really cool, um, it's a it's a standard. So Adafruit came out with this uh, standard, The um, well, they came out with this board called the Feather. And, and they developed a standard around this um, this board. And it's kind of like how all the Arduinos used to have one shape and you could put shields on them and stuff. Well, <clears throat> we've moved to the, the kind of the new hot standard in, uh, in the embedded world in IoT is the feather form factor. And it's a much, much more compact um, uh, form factor. And it... Yeah, out of the out of the box, uh, the feather form factor requires you to support uh, a battery, um, so you can you can plug in and run off of a battery, and it also has a as a integrated charger, so you can you can um, charge your battery if you're hooked up to USB or if you're hooked up to a solar panel. Um, then you can keep your you know you can run this indefinitely you know that way, um, and and like like the old Arduino factor. Um, the Adafruit Feather Factor has has a concept of of backpacks, although they don't call them backpacks; they call them uh, feather wings. But the idea there is that you can buy these uh, additional uh, wings that that sort of plug onto onto any feather board, and then you can easily add uh, things like, uh, you know, LoRa or Wara or, um, you know, GSM modem, etc. So there's a lot of cool, there's already, a, there's already a bunch of really cool feather wings out there that add, that you can add to it or it's right out the gate. So, you know, coming from a, like a .NET developer standpoint, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, first of all, what the, the specs are like on the board and, and how that maybe translates into like, uh, what that means to, to a, you know, a normal .NET kind of app since we're talking about running .NET apps on here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, the board is, this board is really, uh, it's, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm holding it in my hand and, and it's a, it's a beautiful piece of hardware. Um, 
from a from a high level for high level uh, perspective, the the first thing that I think is important about this board is that it's connected as a first class feature. So it has uh, Wi Fi and Bluetooth, um, and it, and it has uh, it supports you know the ESP. We use ESP thirty an ESP thirty two chip for to handle our network stuff. So uh, that supports BLE Classic BLE. Uh, I'm sorry, B, Bluetooth Classic, um, Bluetooth Low Energy, um, and then you know all of your normal Wi-Fi stuff, and then and then Espressif, who makes that chip, is actually also got uh, mesh uh, Wi-Fi mesh support in in beta. So so that's something that we'll be able to add pretty easily. Um, in in addition to that, so this is a this is an embedded this is embedded form factor, and and so we have added. Um, we've added a little bit of RAM. We've added a little bit of flash to this board as well. So there's uh, 32 megs of, of flash storage on there, and there's 16 megabytes of RAM. Um, and to to give you a bit of a a, a bit of a context or uh, you know a bit of a baseline, I think the Netduino 3 Wi-Fi model had something like a meg and a half of 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 RAM and um, I, like half a half half a meg of code storage or something, and and we've done something really really interesting here from a technical standpoint. So when you when you upload your Meadow app, um, there's there's some very fast SRAM on the main microcontroller, and it's about mm-hmm. two megabytes. And we load the our the the Meadow OS and the and the Meadow runtime, which is which is Basically, uh, NUDX, which is an open source micro real time operating system, or an RTOS, which is which is a, a, a very very lightweight single application um, paradigm OS that that is designed for microcontrollers. And then along with that, we have the Mono runtime and um, our additional uh, runtime uh, APIs and things like that for over the air updates and security and 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 um, accessing like the, the battery and the network and, and things like that. And so we load all that into the SRAM onto the microcontroller and that runtime and, and OS is about a megabyte and a half in very, very fast RAM. So it's so incredibly fast. And then we do some magic with the application. We actually, today we load the application into Flash and we execute from flash as well. Um, so, so this is, this is a little bit, this is pretty interesting because if you're developing like uh, uh, a .NET application, say for uh, windows or, or iOS or something, what happens is that the ro- the runtime will load your application into Ram and then it will allocate some additional um, Ram space, uh, which is a playground, which is, which is known as the heap. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we do something a little more advanced than that. We actually execute the application from Flash, so uh, you get all of that RAM space uh, for your heap, for your playground, for your for your application. So we're doing some really really cool technical hard tech, some some you know some interesting technical magic there. And in terms of like .NET applications, you know you you would build this, you would build applications like you would build uh, applications for any other any other platform, you know, open up Visual Studio or VS Code, do file new Meadow app, and uh, you're off and running. 
Yeah, it's really interesting um, to hear how you've sort of balanced that. Um, and, and as you were, you were kind of talking, that's exactly what I was trying to think through of like as a as a .NET developer, you know, who, you know, and, and most people listening to this are probably used to developing on, you know, for deploying into environments with more than like RAM that you measure in megabytes and not gigabytes or, or something like that. Right. So I, I'd be curious to hear, you know, especially given the side of the story you mentioned of, well, you know, supporting .NET standard, which we'll get into and, and going to NuGet and pulling in dependencies. Um, you know, ha- have you seen a lot of cases where you might pull in dependencies for, you know, web-based stuff or JSON or whatever, like you would normally do in an application? Um, and it just doesn't work in this sort of environment because of those constraints? No. So in, a, in an embedded in an embedded environment, you have first thing that you have to understand is that when you're writing applications for for an an embedded uh, process like this, the applications tend to be very 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 small. Um, we're talking on the order of like less than a megabyte for most things, and and actually having all of that flash space and all of that RAM um, will allow you to bolt to pull in pretty heavy NuGet packages and run them just fine. So, you know, running a web server on here, running ASP.NET and using JSON.NET, you know, Newton's or Newtonsoft JSON, uh, not a problem. The, those things will fit just just fine. Now you mentioned too that you know the the fast memory was basically only needing to load like a meg and a half of information, including you know the mono runtime itself, which has got me kind of curious too. Uh, you know, were there, was there any like low hanging fruit to strip out of of the runtime? Because that seems like a pretty low number to to get to with all of that combined. So that doesn't include the base class library, um, and and okay. and we also haven't done any real uh, linking yet. So we don't. We're so I expect that all of this stuff will actually. I mean, the the runtime will probably stay the same, but like they, mm-hmm. the base class library right now, I think for a, a Hello World app is like, four, you know, the whole Hello World app is something like uh, something like four megabytes. And um, as we as we start to link, as we start to, to what they call tree shake, which is where you, know, you compile your application and then it strips out all of the parts of the libraries and the frameworks that you're not actually using uh, and makes that much, much smaller. And, and I suspect as we start to do our linking and tree shaking, um, it will get it down even smaller. Yeah. And then, so so I think that that covers a lot of the operating system side of things, which is is definitely interesting. Um, but one of the other aspects that you mentioned, and I know is in the the sort of architecture diagram on the the Kickstarter as well, is this kind of like security layer above the top of that, which is always um, kind of a tricky subject when it comes to to IoT or connected devices and stuff, right? Like so, like how did you approach security for the these boards and and this operating system? So, so security is, is kind of priority one for us. Um, you know, the IOT devices have notoriously been terribly insecure and, and even, uh, the sort of like most popular quote commercial platforms out there are even pretty insecure today. And so we knew from day one that we were going to have to build security into the entire stack and that that has, that had to be. A, a priority for us in terms of design decisions uh, throughout the whole framework, and so from uh, from the ground up, we have been thinking about security from all you know from over the air updates and 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 secure um, app loading and key checking all the way through. Uh, you know, one of the things that we want to do is ship 
components that will allow you to drop, um, you know, that will allow you to um, create mobile apps, for instance, that have uh, that 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 easily connect to a meadow board and allow you to change username and password so that you don't even have to think about that so that so that if you're building a, an end-to-end solution here we've got we've got security sort of in place at every level of of the stack um yeah and and as you said in that in that in the diagram on, up on our kickstarter you can see um security is in in every every part of it so we have the the meadow real-time os we have meadow core and meadow foundation and uh at every at every point in that there is some uh some set of components or some set of uh security protocols that are that are baked into that so it's it's really something that we've been thinking about from from all perspectives because because security is not you know it's not a, a thing that you you do one thing and you're like yes we're secure it's 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 really there's a lot of different vectors here and and um we're trying to we're trying to mitigate risks from from all sides and and I, I suspect as we as we stabilize this and as we move forward we'll we'll add even more security features yeah. And, and as you said, that that's incredibly important. I mean, the, the kind of the notorious type of use cases that you see are these, you know, you, you have smart light bulbs or whatever, you know, especially once you reach that like consumer standpoint of these devices that just never get updated and security is always a moving target, right? Like new vulnerabilities get found, new things happen, especially on like these smaller underpowered devices that might not even be able to protect themselves as well with, you know, strong hashing or, or whatever it might be. Um, and sort of as part of that, you mentioned uh, an over-the-air update model. Like, is that something that you built into Meadow to have a, a first-class kind of over-the-air update framework and server? Like, what it, what does that look like? Yeah, so that's something that we're, you know, that's something that we're still working through. Um, but it's 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 on the roadmap to ship. But the idea here is that we would do some double banking of the low of the of the of the base OS um, in Flash, so that we can switch over. We can we could pull down um, a, a new update, uh, switch over to that, and then load your application as well. So um, over the air updates are, are are definitely a feature that we're we're pressing for, and and we've are pre- we're we're working towards. And we've got kind of the basic architecture sort of laid out, um, but we're still you know it's something that we're still working on. Uh, but it's it's definitely a feature that I think is super super important. And and you mentioned like fast hashing and stuff. One of the great things about this chip is that there's a bunch of crypto built in. There's a bunch of hardware um, hardware crypto, um, as well as ability to, to securely store keys and stuff. And so uh, the idea there is that you would be able to you know you'd be able to 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 push a signed application package over the air it would validate on the board and say hey you know this is the good key you know it matches what we got going down here and and then and then be able to to swap out and um load that new application and i think that that's a that's a real key feature in terms of 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 um future iot you know one of the things about this is that is that this board and, and you know and IoT in general, when you when you're talking about, about microcontrollers, they use so little energy that they'll be able to be put in places where we we never sort of really imagined computing um, to be uh, 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 you know proliferated and and so that means that these these devices will be will be installed on mass 
everywhere and 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 a lot of places where you don't have accessibility you know if you're you might you might deploy cameras all over a forest for example that are solar paneled or solar powered and you know, take photos of of wildlife and use machine vision to, to categorize them and stuff and uh you may not be able to get out and um you know be uh be able to access those things physically very easily. Or, you know, if you, you can imagine, um, an oil rig today has about 25,000 pieces of IOT and, and, and with computing based on microcontrollers, it can be very, very, very cheap. And so that means that you can, that also sort of adds to the idea that you can install them everywhere because you can install, so you can, you can buy so many, you know, cause your, your dollars go towards many more devices. And so it becomes quickly infeasible to be able to get out to these devices or to manually update them. And, and so those that over the air update in that, that cloud management is, is really a key, uh, a, a key feature for us. And it, and it's more than just over the air updates as well. You know, we're building a, we're building a, um, a management portal where you can drill in on individual devices and you can see their, their, you can look at like crash reporting and you can see their battery health and things like that so that you can really look at these things out in the field without having to, you know, physically access them. So you, you mentioned a couple of different scenarios that would, you know, require different types of hardware and things attached to these devices. I'm curious, you know, for someone who's kind of new to this, uh, world of of these microcontrollers and embedded devices like what what kinds of hardware can we actually uh, attach to these things and and what's that ecosystem look like that's out there uh it's a great question um so over the last over the last 10 years mobile has really changed the face of hardware for us if you if you were to deconstruct a phone you you'd find a whole lot of components in there that are very high quality very low power um, and do a lot of really interesting things and so the basic stuff is like sensors there's sensors for everything and they're commodity cheap you know so adding sensors is super super easy we we're um we're in, in with all peripherals. One of the things about Meadow is that the idea here is that we wanted to make it a plug and play experience. So you go to Adafruit or you go to SparkFun or you go to Mauser, you go to DigiKey and you buy sensors, you buy peripherals and you know, buy GPS, you know, GPS, uh, um, antenna or you can you buy uh cameras and and uh screens and things like that uh temperature sensors you 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 plug them in and you immediately get a fantastic api and so we have been hard at work building out a bunch of different peripheral drivers so the idea here is that it's really is plug and play that you don't have to you don't have to get a you don't pick up a driver and then go and fight with or sorry, you don't pick up a peripheral and go and fight with a driver. You pick up a peripheral and the driver's there. And so we will be aggressively expanding the peripherals that we support out of the box with our with our own curated drivers. But we also make it super easy to add new drivers. We've um, we've done a lot of work around uh, abstracting the protocols that you talk to these things uh, over and we've built a lot of really good communication around, uh, sorry, uh, documentation around these, these, uh, uh, these, these things and how to build those. But, but we're, we're doing even more than that, you know? So I mentioned displays and one of the things that we've been working on, which I think is really, really awesome is, um, is a really great graphics display 
uh, library or framework so that you can plug in any kind of display, whether it's an OLED or an LCD screen or uh, e-ink screen, and you can you can do sophisticated graphics on it with a single API, and you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about drivers. You just plug it in, and, and you're off and going. And the same thing that you know that same sort same sort of idea is 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 found throughout our um, throughout our peripheral driver library, which which we call Meadow Foundation, which is is kind of loosely based on you know to get an idea of what what we're what we've done there. You can you can go check out the Neto the Netduino Foundation stuff, and you can see a lot of the the drivers and a lot of APIs up there. And we we've taken that and and we've been upgrading them and modernizing all that to full you know modern uh, .NET standard and and C sharp seven and stuff. So then it, if you do run into a scenario where, you know, maybe you don't have uh, driver coverage for, for something that, you know, um, a developer is looking to use, uh, you know, I'm curious to, to hear, I mean, maybe a little bit more about what it's like to, to build those drivers. Like I know for myself and probably most developers, like the, the phrase like driver development probably, you know, it sounds scary as hell, right? And it, it makes me think of like old school driver development, probably from like the 90s of really low level type stuff. Um, you know, is it a lot easier than that in this sort of ecosystem? And um, and also just out of curiosity, like are the, the current drivers that you have, is that like open source? Like, is that available as a reference if someone wants to take that as inspiration for what to do for a new device? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I, first of all, I'm, I'm with you. When, when I first started learning hardware and I thought about driver stuff, I was like, oh my God, INI files and like, oh, God, I like kernel kernel hooks and stuff. It's not like that at all. Um, we've really made this a significantly easier. And uh, in terms of like source, absolutely. So, so Meadow Foundation is, is will, you know, will be open source as we, as we stabilize it. And uh, you'll be able to go in and look at any other driver. Let's say, for example, so, so let's take a concrete example. Let's say that you are building, a, you need to, you, you've got a new uh, humidity and temperature sensor and it communicates over I squared C, um, which is just one of the myriad of protocols that, that, um, that hardware these days use. You know, there's, there's serial and there's SPI and there's I squared C and, you know, there's, there's on down the line. So you get this new driver that, that is humidity and temperature over I or new peripheral new sensor humidity and temperature communicates over I squared C. It becomes really really easy because if there isn't a driver there already, then all you have to do is go look at the source for uh, a similar driver on Meadow Foundation, and you can see oh look there's the HIH sixty one thirty which is up there. That's an I squared C humidity and temperature driver. Let's see how that how they've done it. And then as you dig in, the first thing you'll notice is that there's no low-level hardware plumbing. Um, we've abstracted and built APIs around the communication for these protocols. And so it becomes super easy if you need to, you know, you basically look at the data sheet and you see, you see what kind of... Um, you you see the the addresses for the various registers, which are kind of like places in memory where you can read data from, and you 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 say, okay, well, uh, I need to get um, I need to get temperature from this register, and that's super easy. I and you know, and I to configure the device, I do this, and so you say new SBI or I squared C communications base, and 
you pass the address of the device, which is in the data sheet, and then you say read register and you pass the address of the data sheet for um, that particular, f- for whatever you want to read. So like humidity or something, or if you want to change something on the center, the sensor, you call write register. So it's super easy. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to do any of the stuff, any, you don't have to write any of the plumbing code to actually, um, to figure out how to, how to um, work with those peripherals and whatnot. We, we've really abstracted a lot of that away and, and, and brought it into the modern age. Yeah. And I think thinking back on it too, I think one of the other reasons why it seems so onerous other than just being really low level is that it was also really high consequence, right? Like, you know, you know, a, a bad driver could notoriously, you know, blue screen windows or hose your machine and all that sort of stuff. Um, like, is there more isolation in in this sort of world? And like, what does it look like to debug that sort of thing? Like when you get, or even just in general, like when you get into this sort of microcontroller world, like what does, what does debugging look like? Yeah, it, great question. So, you know, in, in the the driver consequence is very different in, in this world. You plug something in and it, it doesn't work. You might get like garbage values and then you sit, you're, you sit there and scratch your head and wonder, huh, why is that? Why is that coming back with a weird value? And it turns out that maybe you're you're reading the wrong register, or you're sending the wrong value to it, or something. Um, and so the consequence is very different. You know, it's not going to take down your your whole system. And the other thing about you know about driver expansion is that one of the things that we want to make sure that we do is provide an easy way for people to to request drivers. So it behooves us to really write as many high quality drivers as possible because we want coverage for basically everything. We we don't want you to have to go and and, and write drivers. Um, we make it easy and we make it easy for ourselves. We make it easy for you, but we don't want you to have to do that. We really want you to focus on the app and, and, and building high quality experiences because that's for us, that's what's going to move Meadow. You know, that's, that's the thing that's going to make us successful. And now, in terms of debugging, this is fantastic. Um, so, so it, it's funny that you mentioned that because today, like real time stepping, step by step debugging, and and things like that over for hardware is incredibly difficult. Um, you know, if you picked up and like if you started doing Arduino development or you're doing, um, you know, using embed or something on an ARM chip, you have to have, uh, you know, for for a lot of those, you have to have these special connectors. You have to have special hardware to do in circuit debugging. And and then, um, you know, you don't even it's not even an experience that you would recognize as debugging in the way that a .NET developer, you know, Xamarin developer would recognize debugging. And uh, we're, we've, we fixed all that. So debugging a Meadow application is like debugging a Xamarin app or a, or a, a .NET app. We have uh, full support, you know, through Mono for mo- the Mono debugging engine. And, and, and so we can, you can set a breakpoint you can step through, you can, you know, you can roll back, you can see the stack trace. It's just, you, 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 it's, it's a mono app, you know, it's, it's a .NET app. And so all of those awesome things that you get with, uh, with mono debugging, those things are, they come for free uh, with Meadow. So what does that look like in the IDE? Is that, do you have like stuff built in to do the deploy and everything so that you just kind of see your device show up and hit run and go? That's exactly it. Yeah. Lovely. So you plug your, plug your device in, um, you know, hit the big hit as, as Anders, Anders would say, you hit the big button and, uh, you know, we compile your application and, and we send it, we, we flash it, we, we burn it to the flash on the, on the device and it, and it boots and it runs. And then you can set breakpoints and you can walk through and, and, 
and, and it's and the experience is really no different than like deploying to uh well it's it's different than deploying to my for uh ios or android and then it's it's fast and it's a lot easier without a bunch <laughs> of provisioning nightmare <laughs> um but it's super simple you um you know you you hit the big button it deploys and and you're off and running yeah it's pretty awesome it, it sort of reminds me of like what it felt like back in the day to to deploy something to my phone and hit a breakpoint. And it was just kind of this this sort of trippy thing of like, oh, I'm hitting a breakpoint on this device that's like in my palm. And I feel like this is like the, you know, a couple levels beyond that of like, I'm deploying to this little microcontroller here and I'm hitting breakpoints and stepping through code in that. Like, that's that's pretty amazing that you got that working. I, I have to say, I, I've, been, I've been doing technology for... I don't, it's like 25 plus years professionally. It's It's been a long time and nothing has ever made me more excited and, and given me more joy than being able to build hardware like this because you're building a physical thing and to see, you know, a few lines of code and all of a sudden you've got this servo opening or closing your chicken <laughs> coop, you know, or you're, you're doing temperature <laughs> control. It's it's really, it's really astounding. I mean, this is to me, we were, we set out to build this because hardware was hard and we all liked hacking on hardware. You know, we're all engineers by trade and, and, um, we really, really liked it, but it was really, really painful. And so we wanted to, we wanted to make it enjoyable and, and make it, make it really nice. And so it's, it's something else, man. It's really something else. It's so much fun, and and it and it's so cool to just be able to like do this, to be able to throw to to grab a to grab a board and grab some peripherals and grab a screen and some buttons and you know some servos or some motors and and you're off and running and you, you know it's so easy. It's 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 you know plug and play with modern APIs and stuff, and it's 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 cool. I I really love it. Speaking of those modern APIs, I want to jump back into the you know the API coverage and the the whole concept of this .NET app. So you know, is this mm-hmm. based on .NET standard? And you know, you, you mentioned um, a bunch of different crypto hardware on the device, and I'm, I'm curious, like, if to to dig into this and kind of really push to see, um, you know, are all of these APIs that we normally use available? Like, does that include like the crypto APIs and all that kind of stuff? Like it. The, is there a point that we, uh, you know, kind of had to drop off uh, running stuff on a microcontroller here? So, you know, we we support the .NET standard API surface, so that gives you like I don't know thirty seven thousand APIs or something. And so those and and which version of .NET standard would that be in particular? Yeah. So right now it's been it's been two dot um, via mono, but we'll you know as 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 two dot whatever we're at now two dot one. Um, uh, matures and, and mono support uh, comes online for that, then we'll we'll basically automatically get that right. So we're 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 using we're using mono and and we we pull down and rebase the changes and stuff um, for mono. Mm-hmm. So we basically get that for free. Now there's a lot of APIs in there, and we haven't poked and hit every single one of them. And so I'm sure there's still there's there's gotchas in there. I'm sure there's there's there be dragons and we'll we'll solve them. But you know we're we're committed to, to basically doing everything that you can possibly do in in .NET standard and more because we've added a ton of our own APIs um, without headache. 
you know, and, and I'm sure there are, there will probably, we'll probably run into to limitations here and there. And, and, you know, and for other devices that maybe don't have like hardware cryptography, maybe, you know, maybe the crypto isn't, you know, isn't hardware accelerated, or maybe those, some, some set of APIs are not available, but generally that's our target is the, is .NET standard. And, 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 and like I said, in general, that's not an issue. So one of the other things that you called out um, in the Kickstarter and, and the docs around Meadow and stuff is, you know, the the whole kind of world of, of AI and and machine learning and that side of things where, I mean, the trend in, in recent years has been pushing that sort of thing, you know, more and more down the stack and out into, I guess, the edge as it's being called now, right? Like into devices themselves instead of just being up in the cloud. Uh, but I'm curious how that, how that plays into this sort of world where I have to imagine that most of these devices aren't don't have the capability to do a whole bunch of like deep learning and ML crunching and stuff like that. Like, so would you end up leveraging say like Azure or AWS for, for that sort of thing? Or is there sort of a hybrid model? So I, you can do basically both. You can run, you know, models locally, you can run them in the cloud. Um, There's, there's a bit of a misconception around machine learning in that Machine learning actually runs incredibly well on microcontrollers. And uh, Pete Warden, who is the uh, is the head of TensorFlow over at uh, Google, um, he wrote this in, this incredible article, and 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 folks will be able to find it here on the on the podcast notes. And it's the future of machine learning. It's is tiny, and the thesis of this article is that is that you can run machine learning on microcontrollers incredibly well. You know, you don't, you, you, you run the models, you create the models in the cloud, you use big data and you, you know, you tune them and stuff. And then what comes out of that is, is, is a set of, of, uh, you know, is a model that you can run on chip and in C2 on, um, a microcontroller and, and it, and it works incredibly well. Um, because the models themselves are generally not super intensive, um, it's it's the training of the models that's that's difficult. So I actually think that we're going to see a lot of AI running locally on IoT devices out in the field on models that are trained in, uh, and created in the cloud. Um, and then, of course, if that's not you know if that's not your jam, if you wanna if you wanna run things in the cloud, then you can still do that as well. I mean, these are connected devices. So if you want to use cognitive services in Azure or, you know, some other uh, AI uh, cloud service, then then you can. And so I think that we'll see some hybrid stuff as well. But I think my guess is that by and large, what we'll see is a lot of local models running on these things. Now, I'm curious to, to hear from you what your favorite or the, you know, the most compelling use case so far that you've come across for these devices? Oh man, it's funny. This is like the trillion dollar question um, <laughs> because in, in it, and it's literally the trillion dollar question because in, in by 2020, there's, there's supposed to be like a trillion dollars a year spent on IOT, which is just this, this enormous number. It's, it's sort of mind bending. Um, and while I've seen some really interesting things, uh, from like, you know, beehive monitoring, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, field, field monitoring and, you know, in, in industrial processes, I think the things that are going to be really stand out, the, the real killer apps just haven't been created yet, you know, and they haven't been created yet 
because of a couple of things. One is that it's, it was really hard, you know, up until Meadow, it's really hard to, to do hardware. And also we're just at the beginning of this, you know, we're at the beginning of the revolution. And so I, you know, while there's some cool things out there, um, I think that the coolest things are yet to be done. And I think they're going to be done by people who are listening to this podcast. I think, I think they're going to be people in our community that are coming to come up with like really interesting ideas that are not, you know, we, we sort of look at this, we sort of look at IOT and we look at all these features and we say, Oh yeah, you know, you can do AI, you can do AI on a chip or you can do um, this or you can do that. You know, you, uh, you can you can gather sensor data and put it up to the cloud. You can do X, Y, Z. But it's really the sum of all of those things, um, which are which is greater than the whole, which will drive really interesting um, experiences and solutions. And I have no idea what those what those look like. I can tell you that I can tell you that in terms of like industrial processes, you know, we'll be able to tune yields. We'll be able to do we'll be able to have um, intelligence and 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 almost proprioception in every in every point of a machine or in, in machinery or in a process or a factory and, and we'll be able to see where things are going wrong or see where we can tune things seeing see where things are maybe needing some preventative ma- uh, maintenance um, and we can we can shut things down and, and fix them before problems happen I mean there's a whole lot of things that we're going to be able to do but but um, in terms of the actual solutions, I, you know, that's really up to the, the imaginations of everyone out there. And that's the way it should be. Um, so, so for anyone who, who might want to build that next killer app or killer device, um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, that and your Kickstarter is already, you know, I think more than three times funded the, the original goal. Um, you know, can folks still get involved? Is there time like, um, you know, like what, you know, how long is that going to be open for? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, um, as a recording, we have 20 days to go. Um, I think by the time this gets into folks' eardrums, we'll you know probably have like 13 days to go. But we have until I think it is uh, November 29th to pledge. Um, but definitely, you know, pledge early and often. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, there's you know, I think this is a really interesting, uh, really interesting play. And, and I think that if you're in the .NET developer community, or if you're interested in hardware and, and, and want to do these things, but don't feel empowered today, definitely jump over the Kickstarter and, and, and get on it before it closes up. Because, because the folks that um, order on Kickstarter and get their boards before they're uh, available sort of in, at large. Um, but, you know, don't, don't dally. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I know which one I signed up for 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 right away. But for folks that that are kind of listening to this and, and you know looking for for inspiration, like can you give sort of a high level? You know, you don't need to go through an itemized list of everything in the Kickstarter, obviously. But you know, like what sort of thing, uh, what sort of things are you offering a, as part of the the Kickstarter? And like, when are you expecting that um, you know folks would would get the devices and kits in hand? Yeah. So first of all, you are backer number one fifty five out of seven hundred right now. Um, so thanks for I know, being. And I got in there fast too. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it was really. We had some uh, discounted boards, uh, and they went immediately. I mean, they went within within, within minutes. It was like watching a, a Ticketmaster. Um, you know, it was like trying to get into Radiohead or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, I I think the thing that the 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 one thing that 
that we should we, that is worth promoting that the thing the the reward that I think um, everyone should get is the Meadow F7 board with our Hack Kit Pro. Um, and the idea here is that if you get that, you basically have everything that you need to just start running. Um, you know, and 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 we have we've been building a IoT as part of this process for the last two years to sort of like figure out where the pain is, how do we make it better, what are the things that we need to build, etc. And so we've gotten pretty good at understanding what people need to build to build things. And so we have hand curated a really high quality set of components in our hat kit that will that will get you rolling and get you running you know out out of the gate and we have been building a bunch of uh, samples around uh what's what's in there and then also informing the the hat kit itself by by building you know uh, other samples and saying hey we you'd be really good to have like a display in here that's a that's an oled full color display or you know relay is super important etc so uh definitely get a hat kit with the meadow board and um we're committed to making a lot of really, really awesome tutorials and samples of things that you can build with that. So think of it as like the Lego kit extreme. And then, uh, you know, instead of having like five different variations of a car that you can build with it, you can build almost anything, you know, there'd be millions of combinations that you can build from this, from this hack kit. I love it. Well, I, I know that I can't wait to, to get my hands on, on the kit. I know clearly a lot of other people are too, and hopefully a lot more to come. Um, but, uh, Thanks for, for coming on. Well, thanks for building all this stuff, first of all, but um, also just coming on again to, to talk about this stuff. And uh, yeah, and I hope everyone goes goes and checks it out. And, and I'm sure we'll have you back to, to keep talking about this, this story because I can only imagine it's just going to keep evolving from here. Yeah. Th- first of all, thanks for having me as well. It's been it's always a pleasure to to talk to you guys. Um, and and I agree. I think this is you know I think this is the next big thing in .NET. I really do. I think this is this is for the next you know ten years. This is going to be what Xamarin was for the mobile world. This is going to be for hardware. Well, then we're we're in for a wild ride, and I can't wait. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks for coming on, and thanks as always to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile. 